Hello and welcome to A City of Champions, a seven-part podcast series diving into each individual game of the Cleveland Cavaliers 2016 Finals run. In game two, we're joined by Andy Liu and Samus Fandiari from the Light Years podcast to discuss the Warriors' dominant win to take control of the series with a 2-0 lead. We are set to go for game two. The last six years, the NBA Finals have been tied at one game apiece. Can the Cavs make it seven straight? Cleveland trying to bounce back from just their third loss of these playoffs. James Thompson, blocked by Bogan, his third already. James hasn't scored yet. Goal for four, alley up to Thompson. Thompson gets past Jefferson, out the green, tries another three. Puts it in. Draymond Green lighting it up. He's got 15. Thompson to the basket, and a foul! Another beautiful pass. And off the ball movement and a chance for a three-point play. This is one of those deflating stretches you spoke of, Mark. Barbosa with the steal! The Brazilian blur! A 27-point game, timeout Cleveland. Golden State, what an impressive performance. Shoot 54% from the field. And they'll take a 2-0 lead in these NBA Finals. Fifth straight win for them. They won the last three in the conference finals against Oklahoma City. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Justin Rowan, and today we are discussing Game 2 of the 2016 NBA Finals. With me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I was thinking uh, since it's the second episode of the series that we could go ahead and burn all the goodwill that we've earned and invite two people on that will piss off half our listener base. Absolutely. We are setting a torch to this podcast series and bringing back, it, it only feels right to bring back the light years, boys, considering how often we recorded back during this rivalry and uh, even throughout this series. Uh, Sam Espendiari and Andy Liu, how are you boys doing? I just I can't believe you guys made me rewatch. I don't even care if the Warriors won this game. I just I can't believe I had to. It just, <sighs> oh, see, I have the opposite perspective as you. I'm actually really enjoying it. Uh, Carter is nice enough to send us all seven games. I haven't gone into all of them yet, but I don't know. It's just kind of fun. You realize how much how many small things you forgot over the course of the years, like little details, like how Sean Livingston did not miss a shot the entire series. Mm-hmm. terrified me absolutely terrified me like that that's one of my takeaways this was a better series and I, sam i think you're going to find this it, it the individual games were better than i remembered a lot of them were a lot closer um even this game it got out of hand and games one and two kind of both fell apart end of the third quarter and early into the fourth but for the most part this was uh, kind of a feeling out process. And then the series got a whole lot more competitive once these teams kind of figured out how to play against one one another. Yeah, to me, I, after this game, I remember I was there. I remember to me, it felt like... By the way, just, shout it, out Carlos Santana. <laughs> you know, actually, this is one of my notes. Is it poor form to say, I don't support these Santana national anthems? Why not? I just want someone to... Like, it's such a, like... The national anthem to me is already kind of like a, an obligation. I don't need anyone to put a spin on it. Just like get it out of the way. <laughs> sing it well, sing it quick, and move if on. If we could bet on it, like in the Super Bowl, this one definitely went over a minute 55. Oh, yeah. Interminable. <laughs> and I kept thinking about how the drummer, who is wearing a very tight dress, she's well, not that's thrilled his wife. to be drumming in that outfit. Oh, that's his wife? 
I right. Well, Sam would probably know better than I, but I think it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> he knows more. He knows a little bit more history. Well, hey, I, this game felt like to me like the the same as a year before, where it just felt like the Warriors were too fast. They they were just they were playing at a different level than what the Cavs were, and it was just. I wrote the obituary uh, after this one back when I was still writing, and uh, it, it just and this was with Stephen Clay not playing like that well. Yeah. Um, and that to me was just like, well, shit, this one's over. Like, guys, this is this is done in five. Um, well, the lead basically went from seven to twenty when Steph picked up his fourth foul in the third. Um, like the the bench was, I, I know we've all kind of had our laughs at the whole strength and numbers thing, but with how well, I mean, Iggy was still playing great at this point. His back wasn't bothering him as much as it did later in the series. Sean Livingston was just out of his mind. Leandro Barbosa played really well. And you know what? Even, even guys like Harrison Barnes were contributing in this game and giving a pretty good effort overall. Yeah, they, this team was just, this is about as hopeless as it felt. Um, cause, oh, yeah. Uh, I, they noted on the broadcast that LeBron had won nine straight game twos after losing game ones. Because remember, the, the narrative for so long was feel-out game. Game one's always a feel-out game for LeBron. And then in game two, every series, including the 2016 finals, LeBron figured something out and made it work. And they had – they just got absolutely wrecked. They couldn't score on this team at all. They had an 82 offensive rating in this game. The, the beginning of the game, I guess we should start there, yeah. was kind of funny because they – I forgot how Cleveland used to always do the Kevin Love post-ups to start a game. Yeah. And he scores on the first one against Harrison Barnes. And then like four straight possessions – maybe not four straight, but like four out of the next seven or eight possessions – where all Kevin Love post-ups where Andrew Bogut would come across with a weak side block. James, bounce pass to Thompson, blocked by Bogut. Love trying to post up Draymond Green, blocked again by Bogut. Four rejections in less than eight minutes. This is the game where if you were wondering if Andrew Bogut getting hurt mattered, uh, it's pretty obvious that it mattered because he completely cleaned the glass. And But I think that was almost more of a symptom than the reality. I don't know what you guys think, but because – the Cavs had just no clue how to attack this team. And as a result, their base defense, which had Bogut in the middle, was just feasting. Yeah, and um, some people, because like the, the prevailing takeaway from the 2015 finals from the Warriors side was like Bogut was ineffective and them they needed to go small. And for whatever reason, you can actually go back to the Christmas Day game um, from the 15-16 season. Bogut was also a monster there. So it might have been a mental thing in 2015, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he was just a lot more effective against the Cavs, um, particularly the Cavs trying to play that slow-it-down style early on in this series that was yeah. effective in the 15 series. The more they slowed it down, the more Bogut being 7-1 and you know, kind of all-NBA defensive caliber inside mattered. Well, one of the big differences, too, was if you look at 2015, Mozgov was a big part of that series, and they right. played a lot of games with Mozgov and Tristan and, Thompson. And he's bigger than Bogut. Right, and he ended up, uh, I think that was the year he had knee surgery after uh, 2015 and just wasn't really the same player. Like, this game was actually one of the only ones that he played. And Ty actually, this was the, the attempt to go back to that lineup to start the fourth quarter. 
uh, it was Mozgov and Tristan Thompson, and the lead went in about 30 seconds from 20 to 27, and this game was effectively over. And that was the end of Mozgov playing. So it's so funny to see um, that such a big part of the previous year series where it was kind of benching Bogut at the end, the death lineup really kind of tearing apart that bigger, that jumbo Cavs lineup. Um, that that just wasn't the, the case with this series at all. And, and this series was so much different than the previous year where um, I think after this game, that's where the Cavs kind of realized, okay, we can try to muck up what the Warriors are doing offensively. We, we can be physical. We can try to keep them out of transition. But when we get the ball, we're going to have to push the pace. And, and that was something that the broadcast mentioned that Ty Lue was emphasizing coming into this game. Uh, but the Cavs were still not adjusting to the help defense that the Warriors had. And that was giving Kyrie and LeBron tons of trouble in this game. Dude, I, uh, I want to say that... This is and like Iggy is good in a lot of this series, even when his back started hurting, he was still impressive. I have like three notes about him from this first quarter. He he held he holds LeBron at zero points in the quarter, plays very, very good on ball defense. James goes to Iguodala. offensive foul, but another fine defensive play from the veteran. James drives stripped. Well, Iguodala just has. Fantastic hands defensively. And I have a note here. He's the smartest tag-in defender I've ever seen. Like, there would be so many – like, so often when teams get switches and, uh, you know, teams try to coordinate that that off-ball tag-in to get the more appropriate defender uh, on, like, normally it's pretty obvious when you concede the advantage for a second while you kind of navigate that switch off. Iggy just does it in a way that, like, they never, ever opened up anything. But he gets back on uh, James off ball. And it's just like, he was just so freaking good. His closeouts were insane. Like, it just That's felt it. like the game changed when he checked in. Yeah. So. Um, he, he led the, he had the highest plus minus in the game. That was also something I noted. The Cavs actually started the game with a lead. I mean, it was, it was eight to four, mm-hmm. but the Warriors kind of weren't getting anything going. And then they, they sub an Iguodala. And to me, it was, um, just putting another ball handler on the floor and probably the least turnover-prone player on the Warriors. The thing Steve Kerr loved from game one was that his team only turned it over nine times. Everyone else on the team loves to turn it over, but Iguodala is pretty good at actually <laughs> not throwing it into the second row. Pass inside. Fry got caught. Iguodala with a beautiful pass to Barnes. That's when they started really getting out in transition, uh, particularly against a Cleveland team that hadn't really felt them out, and that's when he started seeing all those you know, trail threes from staff or, or clay, or just, you know, the threat of that with two guys jumping at him and then just like an easy layup for Draymond. Rewatching mm-hmm. this game. Was it weird to you to see these teams not all the way understand each other yet? Cause that's been my earliest takeaway from games one and two is like, cause like by game seven, these teams understood each other so thoroughly and so, and knew everything the other was going to run and was junking up everything. And, I felt like at least offensively, both teams were still trying to figure each other out at this point in the series. And like, I just have like three years of finals of game seven onward of like, no, no, they know what the other team's going to do. I remember, um, well, we're not talking about game two anymore for me, but I remember game five. I wasn't there for game seven. Uh, but even in the first couple games, these guys looked nervous as hell. Yeah, um, it, th- that was still the case though uh, in 2017 and and 18, but kind of less so. I think just kind of you knew what was going to happen. 
Uh, but like it, it here, it was just very much like the guy, you could see guys were rattled. Even Steph, even Clay, even LeBron, even Kyrie. I mean, Kyrie played like shit this game. Especially yeah, this was his worst game of the finals. Yeah, like you look at the and number. LeBron's like the worst sh- game. Yeah, um, but Steve Kerr played twelve guys this game. He played twelve <laughs> guys, and I think people forget that team, that Warriors team, because the last three years the Warriors were pretty much like a different. A different team, but those two. Katie years, changed them so fundamentally, and I don't think I all the way realized it until is, I did this rewatch. Yep, totally different. Like totally different. It was close. It was close, and then the Warriors would go on these runs. Uh, they won this game by thirty plus, but it wasn't that close. Like it, it, I mean, sorry, it wasn't that much of a blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, it was relatively close, kind of all the way through, and then the Warriors would go on these runs where, like. You would you would go from fifteen to thirty. In, well, that that's what happened minutes. in game one. Was the the Cavs actually had a lead with a minute and a half to go in the third quarter, and the Warriors went on a fifteen zero run, and a big part of that was Livingston and Barbosa in that game. And again, they they went on a run this game um, with, with Steph on the bench, with Draymond and Clay just playing out of their minds. Curry back out to Thompson, open three, bang. Thompson gets past Jefferson, out to Green, tries another three, puts it in! They missed one three-pointer in the third, by the way. It was absurd. And and the thing about the depth that they had was it wasn't like those guys were going out there and just initiating everything and and dominating like a a second unit. They were so good at complementing the the big three that the Warriors had at that time and and playing off that. Like Iggy could obviously initiate a lot of the offense, but he had good chemistry with Clay and Draymond knew where all of those guys were going to go. And and Livingston was such a cerebral player and, and, and finds those holes in the defense that it really doesn't give you an opportunity to let up at any point. Yeah, I think that like kind of my biggest takeaway from from this game is like it just continues to go back to this idea that the Warriors felt more unbeatable in these like like they still had the unbeatable mystique in this series where like they felt inevitable. Uh, you know, in game one, it was uh, Steph and Clay have objectively bad games and they still win because uh, Livingston and Barbosa go off. In this game, the Cavs had to fly at Draymond Green on closeouts. And when you have to close out on Draymond, it's over. <laughs> yeah, that, that was actually my number one take from this game um, was just how good Draymond was. Like, Oh, man. When, when people say I like, forgot Draymond he was had never, this game. Yeah, because everyone remembers game seven when he, when he was hitting all those shots. But you forget they did it like two other games in the series too, with two being kind of the big one. Well, he did it um, all postseason. Remember what he did against Portland too. Yeah, it, but it's it's just the it's not just the shot making. Although in the third quarter he hits a pull up three pointer contested. Draymond Green for three, puts it in. Draymond Green. That's where I was like, okay, that's a little bit of of BS. But it was also the athleticism, like when he would cut to the rim he wasn't getting blocked. He was able to finish through traffic most of the time. Yeah. He, he yeah. was in his backpack this game for sure. Actually, that's actually one of my com one of my, one of my stray observations <laughs> is that if Draymond shoots like he's got a backpack on Delhi just exists like he has a backpack on. <laughs> <laughs> it was so clear in this game that one Delhi had no business in this series. Channing Fry had absolutely no business in this series. Like there, I actually there was have a question t- based on that. Justin, go ahead. 
who was less qualified to play against this Warriors team? Who is more helpless in this series? Poor <laughs> Delhi or poor Channing? I can't tell you how many notes I just have from this series and of just saying oof Delhi or oof Channing. Yeah, and, and at least Ty had the the kind of stomach to to bench those guys because they did not. They play, could not hang the the last just, three games of this series. Neither of them saw the floor. I don't I don't understand what got into Richard Jefferson. Dude, he was so good in this game. Backdoor play, Jefferson. Oh, beautiful play from Richard Jefferson. James the other way. Richard Jefferson draws the foul. What was he on? Because I thought he was washed a couple years before uh, he even played that. He was also decent the year after. I be- no, yeah. or was he done? Yeah, I, yeah I he, he no, he, he played well in 2017. Like, re- yeah. remember, he was a big part of that Christmas day win. He dunked over KD and Clay, and he he was good in the uh, that finals as well. And actually, I really want to do a 2017 finals rewatch. I, I think that would be a lot of fun because I remember it's similar to this one where shorter series, less episodes. Yeah, yeah. The, the first two games kind of slipped away, but after that, each of those games kind of were very close until the end. And the Warriors had runs, and they, I, I mean, that Warriors team, like. Do you guys get nostalgic when you look back at this one compared to the KD Warriors? God, that's a good question. The KD Warriors, even though they did have some series that went longer, it never really felt like they got out of second gear. It never felt like they were actually tested to the point where they had to execute at the level that this team kind of brought to the table. To um, to answer that question, no, I get nostalgic about 16-17. From 2017 on, they stopped being the Warriors or like the style of play that we associate with the team we're watching in the 2016 finals. Yeah, KD stopped trying to fit in. Basically. Yeah. So that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, 17 almost felt like a little bit of a hybrid. Like they still kind of had some of the same identity, but with KD in the mix, I almost wonder if the 2017 Cavs would have had a shot against the 2018 Warriors. Because at that point, it kind of the, uh, the well, isn't love that affair the, that they had wore well, off. The, the, Rockets, the Rockets almost. Someone, um, I want to say Tristan Thompson or someone said that during the 2018 finals that on the Cavs side, if we had our 17 team, I think we could beat these guys. I, I um, agree. Like, and uh, I mean, a big part of what happened in 2017 was also that Tristan wasn't healthy. But um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, I, I wish we got a little bit more of these teams, though. Like, I I I really one my big takeaways from this is just I now that I'm removed from it, I really do enjoy the way that this Warriors team plays basketball. And it's so funny because. You, we talked about how this Draymond performance is for gone. There's a lot of performances that if the end result went a little bit differently, let's say if uh, Curry scored on Kevin Love and the Warriors win the, the series, we, there's enough signature moments and great games from them where this series is looked at completely differently. And I, I think people don't give an, enough credit to both sides really on how well played of a series this was overall. I think that for Warriors fans, that was Kyrie. That was how he felt about Kyrie. Like, I think from that moment on, I think you could even see from the way we started talking or tweeting, that was yeah. all Kyrie. It, it was very much like I was on the forefront of, like, it, it, the guy isn't very good. I honestly still feel like, dude, without those couple playoff games that he played five, six, seven, like, Kyrie's not, like, let's look at what he did in Boston. But here's the thing. He still played that great. He still hit one of the greatest shots of all time, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's against, like, probably the greatest team of the last decade outside of the other Warriors team. Who knows? But I, that was how we felt about Kyrie. It was just like, yeah, they won, but if the, if the Cavs had lost, like, we probably wouldn't be talking about Kyrie at all. 
Um, but he's the guy that changed their mind. Where I was like, shit, like that. Those couple games were, man. If he played the year before, maybe the Warriors do lose. And like, you can have those debates again. But uh, Kyrie's that guy for me. Where, if you want to talk whew. about 2017 and things that are forgotten, Kyrie's performance is actually one of those things. Like, he was, didn't he all have all series long? All he had, uh, he I, I think he had, no, he had like a poor game one, but basically beyond that, it was, he got whatever Ooh. he wanted. Yeah. It, it, both of, both of these series, right? Like it was basically, he had one bad game, like game one in this, in 2016, he was pretty good. Like he got to the line a lot and that was really rare for him in the series right. overall, but this was the one really bad game. But outside of that, like you're talking about over 30 points per game scoring very efficiently. He basically scored 30 every game after this one, 30 plus. And it's just so funny to see looking at it now and we, we've made this point a few times but this is a totally different LeBron like this was the first time where I felt he the Warriors actually had the length needed to disrupt him from getting to the rim this is a great uh, segue Justin because uh, Van Gundy had an awesome game I don't know if you guys listened to the call or were watching on yes. mute Van Gundy had an awesome game uh, he first off he correctly and I don't feel like people do this anymore and like this, and I Let's hold off our instinct to shit on the modern NBA for a second. But because <laughs> I know that's what we're going to do after I say this. But Van Gundy said he completely rejects the idea that LeBron needs more help at the beginning of this game. Mike, James needs more help, but he's got to play better too. So too does Irving. It's not just the supporting cast. Their best players have to play better. It just feels like that's not something that's done anymore when stars like Giannis or someone struggle in the playoffs. Like, LeBron was not good enough in this game and or and early in this series and he got better and better and figured it out but like the fact is he really didn't play particularly well early on in this series and I think that people forget that they almost like gave him like con- like continuation from the 2015 finals where he was just like nearly died on the floor cuz he was doing so much but like he was kind of ineffectual early on in the series. I mean, do you guys agree with that? Very, pa- very passive. Yeah. Didn't know um, how to attack him. That's, that was my biggest takeaway watching this game. He, he looked like he was playing a regular season game in terms of just how aggressive he was being only it was the finals. So I, I kind of forgot about this one. Like I knew it was his worst game of the series, but watching the whole thing is, is completely different than looking at the box score and being like, Oh, not a good LeBron game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like, and like we've talked about it a lot, that his tactics really, the, the entire team's tactics really changed over the course of the series. Like, have you noticed how, did you notice how little they attacked Steph on, on switches when that became their whole strategy? I have that in my notes here. Um, I'm trying to figure out how Steph picked up four fouls when the Cavs were... Being reckless like he was the whole series. Shot clock at seven. Jefferson trying to draw a foul. Stripped and Curry. And that's going to be two fouls on Curry. And Curry knows not a smart play by him. But beyond that, he also... They weren't really going at him. Like, they... I couldn't remember which game. It was probably three, but somewhere between three and five, they switched their strategy to, I don't care what who's open. We're just going to hunt Steph in a switch to wear him down. It was they basically doing- five. Like they, they did a little bit of it in four, but it, it was a later series adjustment than I recalled. They didn't do any of it really in game two. Like at no point do you see LeBron. You can tell when he's looking for Steph in a switch. I mean, he, he'll outright direct people with his hand to like come set a screen for him. Uh, none of that in this game. Yeah. And, and what's, what's interesting too is that that was when Steph, 
Steph spent all regular season that year kind of big shot hunting. Um, he's, he's a lot better at it now just cause he's kind of older and he's, he's done pretty much everything. Um, but he spent a lot of that postseason and, and that series trying to one up like, like he, there was no reason for him to switch onto LeBron is what I'm trying to say. Like he mm-hmm. could have easily just got back to his man, but he just, I, I, there was just a part of him, like an ego part of more. It's like, well, I'm going to show I can guard him. It's like, dude, like wh- why? Right. And then I also felt like with, with that K love moment, I know we're not talking about that game, but that was part of, you didn't need that pull up three. You could have drove. And it was just, it was just him. It was him being Steph and that had worked all season long. And mm-hmm. I, I think that that got in the way a little bit. There was no reason for that behind the back, but that's Steph. Right. Um, and but and that's it almost felt it. like he was overcompensating a little bit for being somewhat limited physically, right? Like he, he could still kind of, Oh, he wanted to he prove still that he kind of explode somewhat, but he right. couldn't change directions as quickly. So I think he was gambling more with steals and reaching in. Yes. Like when we uh, rewatch game six, like it was crazy that there was maybe one kind of debatable call uh, towards the end, but he was like flat out begging to, to get some of those fouls with, with the gambles that he was making. And two of them were even intentional. It's, it's so funny looking back on it now, especially when you see them early on. The one funny thing with this game, though, something Kerr didn't do in game six was when Steph picked up, I think it was his fourth foul. No, it was his third foul. It was his third foul. He, he, he leaves him he, in. He leaves, he him, leaves in. him in for about 30 seconds to a minute. But I took note of that. I was like, oh, Kerr actually kept him in this time. When later in the series, he pulled Steph. And I, I think that there's a really good case to be made that they lost game six by pulling Steph too early. I do. And it, trust me, I love blaming Steve Kerr. Um, <laughs> that's my thing. Uh, but, uh, but it, it was also like, it, it, he was in a, in a tough spot where it was Steph just was doing it like overcompensating to me is the right way to put it. It was just, he's going out of way it was his way to prove that he's not hurt or he's not hobbled and all this shit. And it's like, dude, let it go, man. Just <laughs> right. But that's just, that's not him. It, it, there's nothing you can do there. And a lot of this, like the, the most infamous thing uh, with this Warriors season, the 15-16 one uh, in the regular season was the Draymond blow up at halftime with Kerr. Sure. I'm not a fucking robot. Yeah. Everyone thinks about that as like the central tension, but in many ways it was the entire team when Kerr missed the first 40 games oh, with we're the talk back about injury. This? Oh, we're going to talk about The team was I mean Luke Walton gets credit, but they were uncoached. They did whatever they wanted. And when Kerr came back, he felt like they had all sorts of bad habits. One of them being how Steph essentially would try to pull a Kobe where it's like if anyone makes a shot, you know, I'm gonna try to make a big shot in their face. And all that stuff that kind of gets away from the way kind of yeah. what the Warriors want to be. Um, but they were so good it's really hard to coach someone and tell them they made a mistake when the mistake works and they win. And so it's kind of funny to see in the finals, kind of all those habit things that Kerr would probably have pointed to, but it didn't matter because they just never lost as being the reasons that, you know, because it went down to the end of game seven, you can point to all the little margin things going differently and you should have won. 
Well, right. That, that's the fun thing about such a close finish is depending on what angle you want to take, you can blame it on basically anybody that's not named Draymond <laughs> no, Green, actually, right? Yes, and we so... can blame it on Draymond. Fully, fully. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I guess so. I, right, I meant right. in that one game you in very particular. very much can blame it on Draymond Green. <laughs> but it, it's so funny because, I, I mean, most of the time you guys very, very, very rarely break character. Uh, we, we get it a little bit in our group chats and stuff where, <laughs> where we, we get more of your honest thoughts, but... I always thought kind of blaming Kerr as much as Warriors fans did was a little bit of a meme, but there's so many moments where it, it really feels rewatching the series. Like, man, Ty, Ty like legitimately outcoached Kerr and there was an absence of an adjustment from Kerr throughout the series that it really looks like it cost them this series. We'll be back soon with more from the Light Years Boys after this quick message from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think that there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, betonline.ag, still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on. Or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All are open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series and if you're into props and entertaining betting you can still bet on survivor big brother american idol stock prices and even the weather visit their website today and join for a 100 welcome bonus with your first deposit be sure to use promo code blue wire bet online your online wagering experts isn't Kerr just like a he's like a professor he's such an ideologue and um, and he, so, he enjoys, like you can tell yeah. he gets a little bit of enjoyment when they screw up doing something he told them not to do. Oh, totally. He views that as coaching and he, you know, the fan perspective, everyone's like, dude, it's like game, whatever of the finals. Let's, let's save the big lessons for next season. Let's just worry about trying to win right here. But it's, it's, I think it's legitimately how he's wired and you can't take all the good with Kerr without um, the bad, so to say, and this would be kind of the bad where it's, you know, he wants to teach them in the most high pressure moments. Do you think, uh, you know what I, I rewatching this game and getting into the fourth quarter when Mozgov comes out, uh, after they go up 27, Lou immediately punts the game. Um, and I just thought to myself, I don't think Steve Carr would punt that game. Uh, and I, th- I find it really interesting that, that Lou immediately calculated, we're not winning here. We're not going to burn a second of unneeded energy en route to this, and we're we're calling it right now. And I don't know if the if if Kerr does the same thing. Well, we with- we know that Kerr doesn't do the same thing because you look at five and six, and there were multiple times where the Cavs go up basically twenty. The Warriors push, they cut it down uh, to single digits, and then the Cavs kind of respond a little bit um, and, and ultimately win those games. But especially once the Warriors started getting banged up, shorthanded, and also just kind of overcoming the mental hurdle of we thought we had this series won and we were kind of expending all our energy to close it out. And now, oh shit, there's more to come. Um, I I do wonder if they conceded one of those games and kind of rested everybody up, if it would have made a difference in this. Well, that that Warriors team, they would have never had done that. that. That Warriors team, because they spent all season like they've won so many games losing by 10 with five minutes left and they would just win. 
Yeah. So that, that, that was why. That's, this is another thing where it's it's so hard to, like, with the benefit of hindsight, you might be able to point, point at this, but, like, it's so hard to ask them to stop doing what they did all season, yeah. whether it was Steph being a little reckless or Kerr going too deep into his rotation and believing in the, in the strength in numbers. This is the ultimate armchair type stuff, right? Like, we, we're looking at it now, but uh, I think Sam hit on this when he was talking about with Kerr. Um, it's the same thing as with Draymond. Like the, the reason he got suspended is the same reason he's great. Like you take the good with the bad and, and there, there's levels to this, right? Where that, that arrogance and the irreverence that the Warriors had that no matter what, our best is better than anybody else's best. Um, that's the reason they won 73 games and it's part of the the reason potentially here why they they lost the series that i mean keep in mind here that draymond didn't get suspended for for his flagrant he got suspended for so many flagrants exactly it's you that's reminding us of this (laughs) keep keep it you really have broken Uh, character no it's uh, it's actually that's the irony of it the the foul that that got him suspended was probably the least egregious foul of the entire playoffs like of all his uh flagrants and technicals that was the kind of like whatever right like lebron stepped over him he didn't even hit him he just kind of he tried flailed at him i want to get your thoughts on this i know it didn't happen in this game but i'm i obviously it's such a massive part of this series I, I think obviously the Cavs did lobbying um, for Draymond to, to get suspended there. And it, it was brought up in the press conference um, that that was obvious. I, I know I personally didn't expect it to happen because I was kind of like, well, if, if it didn't happen after he, yeah, if it didn't happen after he kicked Adams, it's not going to happen here. But I think this was the the first instance that we really saw the social media pressure and the amount of people talking about it on Twitter and re-watching and rewinding that. And the way that Adam Silver has kind of made decisions based Ooh. on what Twitter says, I almost wonder if this was more of a public pressure thing than it was um, kind of conceding to LeBron and the Cavs. I don't maybe if it was it was reaction to them not giving in to the social media pressure over the Adams thing yeah Um, no that's what I mean it it all boiled uh it all boiled together with this I think they definitely gave him when they didn't suspend him for the Adams thing which I still think was the right decision um but he definitely got the one more one yeah. more and you will be suspended and he couldn't help himself. He told the line all year, all postseason long. I remember uh, my initial reaction when that happened wasn't like, well, that was a bullshit suspension. It was more like, uh, like now he had a, it's like, fuck dude. Like, what are we doing here? But then, but then it was also like, well, they're up three, one Steph just had an unreal game five. Right. And it was like, or sorry, game four. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this thing's over anyway. So it was like, all right, we'll, we'll just, we'll live with one loss maybe. And then we'll just move on from there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, he, he almost was like, dude, like, what are you doing? Uh, yeah. and, and LeBron for nutmegging him or sorry, not nutmegging him for, uh, for, for putting his ball stepping, yeah. stepping over him. Like, I mean, that's a genius move. Like, Fuck! You know what are you gonna do there? Uh, yeah. so. <laughs> that, that's basketball IQ right there, right? <laughs> didn't he get? Didn't he get assessed for a technical? That's like, who cares? What was that? His second technical yeah. of the playoffs? Yeah. Like, yeah. he there weren't even enough games for him to get a tech suspension. <laughs> the, the the one, yeah, the the one that got him suspended is probably uh, the 
I think it was on Jeff Green in the Rocket series that was just completely unnecessary. If he didn't have that, the, 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 the it was uh, wasn't that Michael Beasley. It was Beasley. It was Beasley. He tackled him. Yeah, at the end of the game, the game was over. I mean, in a lot of ways, isn't Beasley Jeff Green? <laughs> well, <laughs> at least at least Jeff Green's still in the league. Speaking of power forwards that Jeff aren't Green always effective. Speaking of power forwards that aren't always effective, Kevin Love. I, I don't know if you. Oh, guys I thought you were going to save Harrison Barnes, but okay. I, yeah, I, I mean, he could certainly be lumped in there. Um, I hadn't remembered how good Kevin Love was in Game One of this series. Like he was legitimately kind of tearing them up. I, I think he had like fifteen and twelve or eighteen and twelve uh, through three quarters in Game One. Kind of had a cold fourth quarter, but everybody on the Cavs did. And him and Tristan were making an impact in this series. And there were a few things I didn't remember. One, I didn't remember that Love stayed in uh, after he got concussed in this game. Into the third quarter. He got yeah, hurt he in started, the second he quarter. The, when he started the second half, I like I gasped a little. I was like, yikes, this is not a good look. And then he pulled himself from the lineup because he wasn't feeling well. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to play with a concussion. I did it once. Mm. And it is not that that is not something you want to be doing. Um, but it's so funny to look at him pre and post concussion because he just wasn't the same player the rest of the series. And he was effective in 2017 and 2018 against the Warriors in arguably a, a tougher match. I, I can also say the Warriors loved every time the Cavs went to, to post uh, him up. Yeah, because they're like, okay, this is a possession. LeBron's not attacking us or Kyrie is not attacking us. They they felt very comfortable with him doing whatever he wanted in the post, even if it was one of those games where he would go 55% from those shots, which is a pretty good return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was more just like, I, I think that because of the way that the series went for him from games four through six, where he was like putting up like four lines of like four and three, <laughs> yeah. like uh, that I think people got to the point in their brains that they thought Kevin Love was like as unplayable as like a Channing Fry in this mm-hmm. series. And he had utility in the right spots. Like, yeah, they they were fine with with him posting up, especially Clay or Iggy on switches. But nevertheless, like he was he did have just enough juice as a as a attacking closeouts and as a shooter that he was helping them on both ends of the floor. He's helping on the offensive boards. And yeah, he really was not the same Pretty much the rest of the series, he scrapped it out in Game Seven, but like he just looked fundamentally different in Game One, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just really jarring to see <laughs> he stayed in the fucking game oh, for as man. long as he did. <laughs> if we're gonna talk about Kevin Love, um, one of the ways I know that Kerr uh, may have regretted some of his strategic choices was in 2017 Finals Game One and Two, were let's see how many pick and rolls we can run at Kevin Love which yeah. was something they really were not doing in 16 until obviously the famous Christ play at the end Sam of the game. just fucking bringing this up. That's such <laughs> a great point. No, I, I totally forgot about – that's such a good point because I totally forgot about uh, the just – Because they don't so, hunt guys. They don't this do is Kerr's the, dogma. Like, they I, don't I believe in that. I can't, uh, I can't even say the fucking words because I'm so annoyed. Um, but for not for non for Cavs fans, I think uh, to know what what Warriors fans were thinking about as much as well as Steph has always played, Warriors fans always wanted more more Steph on the ball, more Steph just doing anything, um, and less Steph. So I, I want to get your thoughts on how because we're always chasing Steph. the high of when he hits like four shots in a row. Nothing better than chasing the high. But 
just versus on the ball or off the ball, what was what were you guys more scared of? What like or were they about the same? Like you didn't care. They were both scary. Like I well, no. What what was scary about the Warriors was Steph and Clay are more dangerous immediately after they give the ball. Curry up. steps back a three pointer. That's good. Curry back out to Thompson. Open three. Bang. Four to shoot. Curry from the twenty eight foot line. Oh. From way downtown. This team knew where everybody was going to be. They were so active. Like, they trusted one another, right? Like, if Steph gives the ball up to Livingston or Iggy, he knows that if I run my ass off and if I get to the other side of the court, I'm going to have a mostly open three, at least for Steph, because of the way that he can kind of elevate it and that quick release. Um, it, it was just kind of how difficult it was to deal mm. with them as a collective. Uh, whereas later on, like especially with KD in the mix, there, there was more isolation. Like even Clay got involved in a lot of right. isolation in those mid-range shots. This team, just how well they functioned as a unit, um, it, it's so so difficult to deal with. And, and we've talked about the difference that Bogut made defensively on the inside, but the difference between him and like Javale McGee or any of the other guys that they've worked into the mix was he's a really underrated passer and he knew where guys were going. And just that extra pass coming from the inside when it got to him, usually two, three passes later resulted in a wide open shot and that wasn't available to them later in the series. Here's here's what it is for me is that I, I wrote in my notes for this game that this is the Warriors had the, had the highest collective IQ I've ever seen. This year's Warriors. Uh, really the only player that you wouldn't describe as like super savvy was probably Barnes right. and maybe Festus, but everyone else like had such a fundamental understanding of like what they need to do. And I feel like that combined with the home run aspect of, of them in transition and off turnovers that it, it, it almost felt like they had a team, a lineup of like seven dudes who like hit 300 uh, at bat at the plate so, but just got singles and doubles, singles and doubles. And then you just, you had home run hitters that were there to, to get those guys home every single time. So there were always, got, there's always guys on base with the Warriors. Like, that's the thing, like that you never got to chill out um, when you overcommitted or worried too much about Steph, they would slip a screen for a wide open dunk that just felt like, like motherfucker, you can't <laughs> allow that to happen when you're, yeah. when you know Steph is going to go off, even when you guard him right. Uh, that's kind of my, that's kind of my thing is it's not just one of the guys, just Steph or just Clay. It's, and it's not just the strength of numbers. It was the confluence of all of them that made them feel so unbeatable. I want to hear your analogy for the four years after this, because it is like, it's just different ways that they change. Maybe not for the better, but like they probably win the next three titles too, right? Like if, if Clay and KD don't get hurt, that's another title. It, yeah. But it's or just, it's just even a, just one of them didn't get hurt. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. it, yeah, but right. like, I guess what it is, is th- this team, I think the reason that I hold them Very in such unique. in higher regard is they were so much more than the sum of their parts. Yeah. And I always felt like the KD warriors were just a little less than the sum of their parts. They were underachievers, I think. Like, I don't. It, I don't know. Only, only, only year one. They they proved their point year one with the sixteen and one playoff run, and you know it basically took 
one of the greatest offenses of all time getting obscenely hot for them to not go 16 and 25 free throws in the first quarter. Let's not mm-hmm. forget. That's what we're yeah. doing. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We, we still, we're still holding on to the most frustrating sequence, which was Corver missing a wide open three. Right. Oh, uh, I remember that. That, that oh. led to KD hitting the shot. I mean, if Corver hits that three, you're, uh, you, you lose you know that game in all likelihood, and there's a chance that it's 2 2. I, th- I think the Warriors take that series no matter what because I, I think they still had another game. They don't come out as flat in game four if they lose game three. But right, um, right. what I was going to say is I was so ready to kill Kerr because if you remember in that game three, he left Steph and KD on the bench way Classic longer Kerr. than he should have in the fourth quarter of a, a playoff game. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards, he gets to Scar victory tissue. lap. He gets to victory lap how they um, those extra couple minutes on the bench gave him legs that LeBron and Kyrie didn't have at the end of game three. Yeah. And it, it kind of gets back to your point. Whoever wins gets to the winner right gets to rewrite history, right? Absolutely. So a, and that's so much yeah. to do with this series. And um, it, it it's so funny. Were there any things when you guys were rewatching this that kind of took you back to that time? Because one of my observations, one of the things that's actually popped up a lot in this rewatch was um, one. I, I remember, uh, I think it was in game four that they were teasing um the oj uh documentary series that that was right about they were launch. doing that they were doing that in game two also actually and the what other thing that i forgot before game two was series. that one thing that i forgot prior to game two is that muhammad ali had passed away and i was like oh yeah i remember that that ended up being a, a talking point as well because there there was some tie-in with uh lebron uh, obviously because when there's always a tie-in with lebron yeah whenever there's something <laughs> yeah. historic there's going to be yeah. a tie-in with lebron um, it, there, there was just so many kind of things that it, it really is funny that it's only four years ago. Um, but I'm nostalgic yeah. for this type of a rivalry. I'm nostalgic for this type of basketball and just the content that was around at the time as well, uh, surrounding it. And, and, uh, tying it back to Carter's point about how the Warriors were more than their pieces, like, a more than the sum of their parts. Um, it, it kind of ties to this rivalry, another part that was really fun about it was kind of the clash of styles. I mean, Cleveland had two of the best isolation pick and roll players in the league and they mismatch hunted. And it was a lot of, you know, kind of LeBron and Kyrie set the tone for how they're going to play. Whereas the warriors with the ball movement system and just everything being about movement and playing a complete different style. I mean, that's kind of what was so fun about the rivalry because it was, it's it's like a boxing match. You get two fighters with distinctly different styles. Yeah, especially you, as the season, uh, series progressed and the, the Cavs did start kind of isolating and run. Uh, I found a lot of their ro- offense was being run inside the three point arc, like they were trying to make things go there and, and generating their isolation. And there's just it was so bogged down, and the, the Warriors had so much length, and their help defense was so good that it was disrupting it. Um, it and that was a big part of Kevin Love kind of being somewhat limited later in the series as well was when the Cavs were really at their best at these versions, uh, the 2016 and 2017 versions, it was a great isolation offense that got them uh, good looks in creative ways to, to generate those isolations. But if they ever missed Tristan Thompson and Kevin love generating those second chance opportunities so, really helped level the playing field. That's, that's what I wanted. Cause if there's one thing I don't think is talked about enough on this Cavs team because really whenever we anybody talks about this Cavs team, it's about LeBron. But to me, Tristan Thompson, like that was the I, I remember thinking 
I remember thinking Tristan Thompson is not good, but or nothing damn, special. But damn, like Draymond Green had to work so hard, mm-hmm. so hard to like battle Tristan Thompson that it affected really like him and the rest of the team. And that's when like the toughness of this team of this Cavs team is underrated because you look at that, you look at Jr. Jefferson, Kyrie playing the way he did after this shit show of a game. Like, I think those things are like, man, they turned that around, and I, I didn't expect it. I personally, right? Because, like, after, after just how great the Warriors were in the season before, like, you didn't expect those things. Um, and to see them turn around, that was one of the things where it's like, you don't want to admit it. I definitely didn't want to admit it for a long time, but it's like, damn, that was a uh, – it just, it, Tristan, I think, is the big one. Like, Tristan's a 16-game player, right? Like, uh, right. He, he's not an 82-game player. He, he's definitely a 16-game player. And, the and tri- I, feel, I feel like the people that appreciate him most, like when you talk about um, fan bases that uh, have a respect for how good he can be, it's basically Warriors, Hawks, Raptors, like whoever played him. Because even Austin. when it was a, a bigger <laughs> center like, uh, like um, Andre Drummond or Jonas Valanciunas, or when they played Steven Adams, like he, he was able to do that against the bigger guys. And um, I don't know if Andy's going to rewatch the rest of the series, but Sam, if as you rewatch the rest of the series, um, like his ability to switch on to wing players and Steph and, and Harrison Barnes and force misses. Um, it was better than I, I remembered. Like his, well, it, his it, foot speed is really, I was going to, I was going to say a lot of the, like, because the rim run and, defending center became very in vogue in the mid mid uh tens is that what we call the decade yeah 2010s i think but the mid tens the mid a lot of (laughs) the the dirty tens yeah a lot of the um the players who get praise for it like clint capella like drummond are simply not as good at it as tristan thompson was like they might be 10%, 20% 10%, 20% better on offense. Like they have better hands. They get above mm-hmm. the rim better than him, but they're just nowhere near as good defensively as he was at his peak. Tristan Thompson. Thompson showing some ball handling. The runner won't go. Gets his own rebound. Back up and foul. James hasn't scored yet. He's 0 for 4. Alley up to Thompson. Oh, man. If he wasn't hurt for 2017, I, I know I keep going back to this, but that I, I think that would have helped. Um, push the Warriors a little bit more. I was going to say, those guys can switch, but they can switch in the sense of they can hold their own against good perimeter players. Tristan could actually hold his own against like all-star caliber perimeter players, which is a big distinction. I feel like that people thought that the Thunder had figured out how to attack this Warriors team when they went up 3-1. And then it just kind of proved, like, over time, like, we thought the answer to the Warriors uh, over the course of that series, I, when they went up 3-1, was that you just got to go huge. Because they were playing uh, Ibaka, KD, Robertson, all these monster-sized players. Um, and really what it, what it mattered was you have to be big and be able to bully them, but you also have to be super-duper agile and switchable. And, right. like, Ibaka couldn't hang not really. Like he could kind of, but like ultimately when Steph got hot, it was over. And TT in this series specifically was just like I don't think there was a better big in the NBA for the for the in that year uh to do what his because, team needed because to do length, on both ends. length isn't enough. You have to actually be able to get up on the guy and not foul him, which like Ibaka, yes, he's got like a seven five wingspan. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't actually like get up on staff the way that no, he's all about guards closing. or wings. He's do. about closing. Yeah. 
Exactly. Uh, whereas Tristan Thompson could actually like get up into Steph the way that, you know, typically like wing defenders do like when you put like a, um, I don't know, a Danny green or a Kawhi on him, like how they can, because they're perimeter players. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that's part of it. And the, the second part on Tristan is, um, he is just really good on the, on the glass in an effective way. It, it, it kind of highlights the point how not all rebounds are the same. Like he'll never get more rebounds per game than Andre Drummond, but you can't tell me he's not more effective on the glass than Andre Drummond. And there's so many times he doesn't get credited for an offensive rebound, but him battling for the board gets the other team to poke it out of bounds and gets you an extra possession. Or just have to commit two bodies. That's the first thing they did in 2017. They put two bodies on Tristan. I forgot about that. It was Zaza and... um, it might have been. It was basically whoever the closest man was um, would would double well, Zaza up was on kind him. of the perfect big for Tristan too. Just a fucking rock. Hey, do you guys think? Me and Sam have talked about this for years. Do you guys think that OKC would have beaten that no. team? I, no, they they, they weren't as good. I'm shocked you guys think that <laughs> they weren't as good. I'm, they were worse than the Warriors. I mm-hmm. I'm very confident in that, and I think that LeBron still had something on KD at the time. And I think Russ just would have. Yeah, I come a lot of it. Look at who's on this podcast. There's the four of us. We all don't respect Russ and his style. Like, I can't believe it. Not at that that point in the playoffs. Yeah, and and the Cavs just matched up. Like, every time they played OKC with KD, uh, they would handle them. And once was without Kyrie. Kyrie cooked Russ every time. Yeah, and they beat them both times this year. Uh, I think think they lost one without Kyrie by, like, two points. And then they beat OKC in OKC by a fair amount. And that was the bed bugs game where Kyrie went out after five minutes um, and stopped playing. Yeah, was, that um, was a game where they played uh, the big ball lineup where LeBron was the point guard. It was like LeBron and, next to J.R. Smith. Like they were huge. Right. And, and Tristan did a really good job on Adams. Like he And he was able to really limit what Russ is doing. And if... Like the way that Tristan was able to disrupt those Russ Adams pick and roll and get Russ to, to take bad shots versus getting to the rim. Um, and then Kevin Love would just switch over to Adams and, and kind of take care of what they were doing on the board. Uh, the Cavs didn't have to compromise what they were doing to play uh, the Thunder. Whereas against the Warriors, someone like Channing Fry, oh, okay, we're, we're taking out him of out the of the series. series. He can't play. The Cavs could have played the way that they played in the Eastern Conference. Um, they they could have done that against OKC. I like I I think looking back at it, and I know we've talked about this before, but I I think for the rivalry, it's great that history unfolded the way that it did. But if both teams were healthy, I think the Cavs taken in 2015 and the Warriors taken in 2016. Um, I I just think that it yeah I think that most it unfolded. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that it unfolded, though, uh, from a narrative standpoint, the way that people were able to pick and choose what they wanted to take away from the series and the angles it gives you for jokes, um, it's what made this rivalry special. And, and there really isn't anything like it right now in the end. I, I no, want to actually ask you. Close. I want to ask you guys about well, this. Well, because it was organic. That's yeah. the thing. It was you organic can't... and it was so competitive. And I guess what I wanted to ask you guys was, do you feel like the rivalry – as we know it, the the vicious, uh, hateful, um, nuanced, layered rivalry. Like, did it die after this? Did KD come and kill the rivalry? Because I kind of had this general take. It wasn't just the on-court stuff. It was just 
everything about the Warriors got less interesting to me. Uh, Katie killed the rivalry because we were uh, – the media as a whole, everybody as a whole was unable to talk about it in any way that, like, mattered. It wasn't just, interesting and, 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 anymore. I actually think Kyrie killed the rivalry in some ways too because um, I Kyrie still leaving think the, really hurt. Yeah, yeah. The minute Kyrie left, it was over, and mm-hmm. then it became about Houston. Well, um, the, the important I, I I agree. I think if he would have stayed, things would have maybe got interesting. Especially, well, I guess if the, the minute the, Paul, the Warriors the, take their foot off the pedal, they weren't. Like there was an opening for Cleveland to make it a very competitive series. Yeah, the, the unfortunate aspect of that is that Kyrie did need surgery in 2018, and Boston tried to limit that and push it to the postseason by playing him 20 or 30 minutes a game, and the Cavs wouldn't have had the luxury to to rest him. That's one of the things David Griffin has kind of uh, pointed to in the past. One of his regrets with this team was not getting Kyrie a backup point guard uh, in 2017 because is that kinda, LeBron? Well, true. That's 23's job. Uh, but no, like Tristan didn't have <laughs> a backup center job. basically after Mozgov and that caused him to burn out and finally start getting hurt. And then he just wasn't as effective in 2017. I mean, it's just hard to go to the finals this many years in a row. I mean, yeah. Like, and and, and he was playing, plus and he was playing for Team Canada. Like he was playing for Team Canada as well in those summers. Like he he's... He, the guy loves to play basketball, but um, Kyrie wouldn't have been healthy for 2018 no matter what. And that sure. kind of... If he would have stuck around and if Indiana didn't veto the Kevin Love for Paul George trade after it had already been agreed upon, maybe that would have been uh, kind of interesting. Would have but, breathed some life into it in some way or another. But I just think that these principal pieces needed to stay. Like I just think the rivalry would have been fundamentally different. Like There's so much scar tissue uh, between these two teams after in that summer. It felt as, as vicious. Those two years felt as like, important as basketball has felt in so long and I just really missed that time like I, I just said like I think the reason people still talk about this finals and it's not just wistful cash fans because our team sucks now it's it's much it's still in the social conversation and I think it's because it's the last time basketball felt really important well, well I and, think and it was com- last time basketball was maybe competitive but basketball was competitive. Last you year had, it was competitive, but it wasn't it's fun. It's been competitive it this matter. season. It did, yes. Well, I just don't think, it ma- I don't think it felt really, really important. Uh, like, mm-hmm. like, I think that, I mean, and in fairness, I think it's as important as basketball has ever felt because of all of these style conf- uh, contrasts and LeBron versus Steph, legacy, uh, you know. The, the, the sheer volume of yeah. pressure on LeBron to win one in Cleveland. I mean, it's pressure he kind of put on himself. But yeah, like, but still interesting. Creates, yes, you have that, and then you have this team that comes out of nowhere playing a style that no one saw possible. So, I mean, it's it's a bunch of factors that were unscripted, so to mm-hmm. say. I, I have a together. question for you guys. That LeBron factor was definitely scripted. This, this like oh, LeBron coming True. back to Cleveland, obviously there was like kind of a Nike script narrative to get him to be the kind of public right. good guy. It's it's the right. last kind of campaign with him that's really resonated with the public. Very it's, true. Very and, true. And you also had the Nike versus Under Armour thing, right? Like Steph was something that was so organic um, and Under Armour was on the rise and then he basically tanked that company by failing in this finals. <laughs> you know what um, I think? Boy, that's or, he, or he tanked KD. it by taking KD. Yeah, yeah he tanked I, it by taking so, KD. So you taking guys, KD help, me on this, help me on this. Yeah, help me on this. I, I still think that a lot of the major moves 
um, are orchestrated by shoe companies because they're their primary employers oh, for a lot of these stars. I, I think Nike put um, KD in Golden State to help undermine Under Armour Correct. and stuff. And I think they put LeBron in LA. Like I think that was a condition of his lifetime deal that he signed with Nike that he had to go to the biggest market. I think with KD for sure. I think that was one of the big I think things. It's been, I think it's been um, written about that uh, there were people. Well, it's been written I don't in this know if way. It's been written about <laughs> that they weren't unhappy. It's been written about in, in very <laughs> reputable forums, Andy. <laughs> yeah, in DMs. It's been written about in DMs. But you're right. You're right. They were not unhappy that he went to Golden <laughs> State and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of dimmed Steph's light, so to say. What, I, what guys, I love about this rivalry, too, is. Steph and LeBron just want the other one to like each other. Like, I, I think LeBron kind of gets some insecurity uh, from Steph not kind of kissing the ring to some extent. And I think Steph um, gets annoyed Ooh. that LeBron yes. doesn't give him his roses for how good he is. And maybe some of that is kind of shoe-related because uh, obviously no, LeBron was... Yeah, I'd go just, ahead, For, I, for I, Steph, I, it's everything. But the shoe thing, it, it kind of highlights it because... I mean, everyone's now knows the history of how like Nike messed up the pitch to Steph. Like they're showing him the, the irony of it all is they were showing him a PowerPoint presentation and they forgot to take Kevin Durant's name out of it. <laughs> so, forgot about that, Sam. Holy oh, shit! So, was that really what it was? Wow. Yeah, that's like one of the the the, um, the factors that I made him want to leave. Up, but man, and um, uh, but yeah, I mean, Steph is so driven to be um, accepted by the quote-unquote elite correct correct like because he just i mean it's all kind of narrative like under recruited player well, went to a small uh, school all that pro, sort of pro stuff. son so like yeah rich kid i always thought that was a really interesting narrative that like like seemed to really matter to like the players uh like like yeah. steph is this preppy soft shooter uh that grew up grew up as a player's son and lebron came from nothing that was like a big thing that always got played up and always felt it was just another layer that like made people want to argue about these I think, guys. I think Carter, that's that was the big one Carter in 2016. That was the big one. But that, it's that funny. It's funny because it's not like, you know, like Kyrie's a kind of upper middle class <laughs> kid. Yes. Guys like Russ. And Kobe was too. I mean, Kobe and Kyrie have the same kind of like, a the difference between them. That's you know, the difference between them and stuff is they drive to the rim. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to. I'm not going to answer it the way you want me to, Andy. <laughs> they're, they're, they're willing. To, they're willing to foul hunt. <laughs> yeah. Um. I. I. Well. Okay. So I think the difference is that Steph's actually a lot better than those two guys, uh, Kyrie and, and Russ. It, it, he's actually the only one that was able to, to for other people to be like, oh, in 2015 and 16. Oh shit, Steph. Steph is better than LeBron and. It was just those two seasons, right? And, and I think that was part of LeBron. It's like the same way Kobe was like, "Oh, y'all are saying LeBron is better than me." Like, fuck that. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I don't, I don't like that at all. So, same thing. I think with LeBron. Um, and when then, you're the king, you don't want anyone to be on your turf. Well, I think ultimately, it's, it's the real sign of respect, right? Is that he actually kind of the the way that he responds to Steph. There was a sense of him feeling threatened by him, and, and but, you see it this yeah, year a little a bit with like Zion. When he plays against Zion, there's another level because it's like, hey, everyone's calling you the next me that you're going to be the next big thing. There's this is, this a, is uh, the only time, or I shouldn't say the only time, but this is you're kind of getting a little bit of the Jordan thing where it's like, uh, right. fuck no, like get off my lawn. I'm, yeah. I'm not going yeah, down they, they bring, a He brings a, uh, 
a different level out of LeBron than it, DeMar DeRozan does. But but so. no no but the, no but you're right and and let's not <laughs> come on uh, <laughs> random DeMar cheap shot. But he doesn't do that I guess with guys like Chris Paul or guys like even KD. Like LeBron hasn't done that with KD either. So I think where Steph looks at that and and where he was just like Steph doesn't care what you and I think like like someone like like KD does. It, the problem the problem is K- Steph cares about what like Oscar Robertson thinks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when Oscar Robertson comes out of that season and says like, says like, and kind of diminishes Steph's stuff, that's where Steph is like probably the first time or the one of the rare times where he's legitimately like, dude, I'm kind of pissed. Like, I wish these guys liked me more. Now I, I couldn't tell you why, but, but yeah, I think that came from LeBron too. And I think that trickles down to, to the way people started talking about Steph from that point on. One thing I want to ask you guys about uh, as we kind of get close to the end of this episode uh, is the other thing that made this rivalry great is something that you guys are going to like because you're going to take credit for is arrogance season. The Warriors going villain, I think, was the number one precipitator for this series feeling as important as it did. Because it reframed they took Draymond's LeBron. identity. Yeah, it reframed LeBron as an underdog in the national narrative, God, which he hadn't gotten to be in a long time. Your thoughts? It is actually we were um, we had Miles Brown on our podcast. Um, don't don't plug your podcast here. Of course, <laughs> oh, I'm gonna plug it. <laughs> Subscribe, light ears. Yeah, this is, we're, we're the we, we're the two OG Blue Wire pods. That we, is true. We gotta, yeah, Just we, kidding. But, you can um, promote your shit. <laughs> Sorry, but what I was uh, Miles was he couldn't pinpoint to at what point he went. Cause he was, he's not a Warriors or a Cavs fan. And he basically said like, I loved watching the Warriors. They were the most fun team I'd ever seen or like I'd seen in like a decade. And then like somewhere before the finals, they really started rubbing me the wrong way. And I wanted the Cavs to win. And I feel like that was, I mean, he's just kind of summing up what felt like a national sentiment. And I still can't pinpoint to where, but I really do think it was right about that OKC game where Steph hit the 40-footer. From mm-hmm. there on, it's they started becoming too much for people. People wanted to see them get humbled, basically. Yeah, well, they were they were so much of what drove that Warriors team was fun and like celebrating. Mm-hmm. Like that like them celebrating fueled the next crazy shot. In the next celebration, and so on and so forth, and like because they were so unbeatable for so long, and they had Draymond reminding you as every every he was there to remind every fan base along the way that they were trash, (laughs) (laughs) and he was and he was great, and he was one of the top ten players in the NBA at that time. Okay, so I think I think what I I should have said this earlier. What happens with a lot of NBA players and teams is that they they gotta they gotta go through some shit before you win the big one. Same with LeBron, same with MJ, right? The thing with Steph is he didn't really go th- like you can say the ankle stuff and whatever, but like it happened. But he so wasn't quickly. on that level when the ankle when Exa- the ankle stuff right. happened. He wasn't like no one was like Steph's the next guy. So right. he which is what helped enable the team that they were able to build because he was on that value contract. And even honestly, even Clay and Draymond, I I think they both reached a different level this season. Like they were good in 2015 and they were putting it together and what if they lost was great but though yeah i honestly what if I they think- lost that season that like that's what should quote unquote should happen like if they had lost that season and and gotten that heartbreak and they won the next season i don't think this team is hated like i, I don't think they're hated no it, it's, you're it's a 100% thing. right 
they, I, I don't think they win 73 games. Team. I don't think they no, win they 73 don't. games, right. but they probably win the title. I, I think. No, they go on a more, um, they go closer to a linear path. Like they take a big step right. with Kerr, but they don't get to the title. And that allows Kerr to be like, okay, we need to improve X, Y, and Z to get there mm-hmm. instead of what happened, which was they won the title. And then they, and then Kerr goes away and then they think they're invincible and then they play like they're invincible. In mm-hmm. which case, like, I, I don't know what a coach can do at that point. Like, how are you going to tell Not a guy? Fucking like, Fesses of Zillian. Yeah. But how are you going to tell a guy like, okay, but that's a bad shot. And he turns to you and goes, yeah, 49 and four. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, no, I absolutely. And it, it really does feel like this is the end of, and, and I agree. I think it was Andy that made this point earlier. I think this was the end of uh, media knowing really how to talk about these teams. Like that was one of the big problems with KD and it really stopped the conversation from being what changes does a team need to make internally to oh, improve yeah. and to become a contender to this star needs to leave or this team needs to add this star. Um, like it all kind of becomes these quick fixes and the constant turnover that we're seeing now. I think this was, this was the absolute end. And I think that's, that's why things don't resonate as much with people these days. Who knows? Maybe after the, this detox, it will, but um, I, I think that's a big part of it. The NBA, I mean, the NBA this season certainly was on a path, I guess, sort of, but we needed people- to see it in the playoffs to actually buy in, yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, there were also too many guys that were missing this season too. Like, you needed the Nets and the Warriors in there this postseason, right? But if we if we got that Lakers Clippers series, whichever way it went, it would have fueled the next season's narratives. Like, if the Clippers beat them, you would have seen insane pressure on the Lakers. If the Lakers beat them, it would have gone a different way. So, mm-hmm. yeah, this was supposed it, to be the palate cleanse season in a lot of ways. <laughs> it was yeah. supposed to be what fourteen fifteen was in yeah. in many ways, yeah. or what it ended up being. Yeah, yeah. It, it's so funny to look at it now, and I, I am disappointed that this season was derailed. I'm actually also a little disappointed, and this is kind of solidified after watching the series. I'm disappointed that we didn't get kind of Stefan Draymond this season and Kalea at some point, because I think he could have came back if they were in the playoff hunt. I, I, I want to see those guys play again. I forgot until today that Andrew Wiggins is on that team. I, I don't know what to <laughs> oh make of that. But I, a fellow I, Canadian. I, Especially now that the pressure's he looked, off. He looked amazing in the 15 minutes he played next to Steph this season. <laughs> there you go. You, you can hang on to that. But it, it does make me nostalgic for that three together, uh, especially removed from it where you don't kind of have the pressure of trying to figure out how to beat those guys. It, it really is a beautiful brand of basketball. Do you, do you guys kind of feel some nostalgia for... for I, I know we've talked about um, them uh, together, but nostalgia for the rivalry or for the the, the series. I, I think you ask about nostalgia. I think I think Warriors fans they might not like say they might not want to think back yet, just because the run isn't over, or at least we don't think it is. But I think fans had nostalgia whenever they said Kevin Durant pass the fucking ball and just run off a screen and you'll be wide open. I think that it, it feels fueled by nostalgia. That is fueled by nostalgia. That or is you saying. Can- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Or you can go deeper. It's sometimes your actions speak louder than your words. Every Warrior fan liked KD uh, because they like winning and because you always want to There's a transactional relationship. Yeah. But you can't tell me the way the fan base reacted when KD got hurt and they beat Houston and then swept Portland didn't feel different. The good old and, days are back, baby. Yeah, there was a level of... Um, they wanted 
they're chasing like first love versus I, I don't know what you call it with KD well, and and still some validation, right? Like the this team still kind of has a chip on their shoulder because people right. they uh, never got a chance to yeah they never got a chance to fix what happened in 2016. Not really. Yeah, and, and 2015 there I I mean people will still point to the injuries and stuff. And then you had 2016, and then KD was the solution. Um, I I completely understand why why the fan base would be even if some of it is irrational, like I, I think these guys have kind of proven what they need to prove. Um, but Hey, let's get it with the, these three again. Like let's, let's finally win a title where people aren't pointing to some other thing. Um, I, so I, I completely I, understand that point of view. Well, okay. I think two points. Number one, I think part of the KD stuff was also, they never felt like KD was part of that, like loved them the same way, at least. Right. Fans. It, so it's back and one. forth. It's like, he's, it was he, po- he postures, he doesn't like you. So you posture, you don't like him. And then it yep. goes back and forth for two Tur- years. Turns out that was just KD as a person. That's just, that's KD, but, but it's, <laughs> it's hard, right? To deal. And I think number two, um, I, I think number two, the Warriors came out 20, the, that season we're talking about right now with a 173, I think they felt that way. They definitely felt like people think this is a fluke. We're going to show them. I actually think that now if you ask them their true feelings, I think they're content with just wh- what happened. I think they want to win again like everyone else. But I think if you ask Steph, you ask Clay, you ask Draymond and you say like, do you guys feel like you need to win one with just you three? I think they'd say we'd love to. But we don't need to. So I think they felt. Oh, like I disagree. They I disagree there. But I think if they do win another one, I do think they have at least one more in them. Mm-hmm. It's going to take. Kerr always wanted them to be the Spurs. He wanted them to be, you know, different players. But like Tony, Manu, and uh, Tim wanted that sort of thing. And I think they're actually at a place in their career where they probably see the game that way. Steph and Draymond have definitely kind of alluded to it. Like they will never chase 70 wins again. They're very, but they may be that team for the next five years who everyone writes off. And then around March goes on a run. And it's like, you know how like the Spurs did that for like what felt like a decade where you're like, Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're not the same old Spurs. And then March 1st, you're like, okay, they're 18 and two in the last 20. Yeah, LaMelo Ball is going to give them the point card they've (laughs) always needed. (laughs) Exactly. But I think think they're very comfortable reaching in. They they definitely keep alluding to the fact that they don't care about the regular season anymore. So I think that's kind of what comes. I mean, we saw it with LeBron. You see it with with any player who's been in the postseason enough times where they realize like – I don't need to prove I can score 30 points or yeah. I can win an MVP. I need to pace myself and start peaking um, post all-star break and then show everyone what I'm worth in the playoffs. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And boys, this, this has been a lot of fun. It's good kind of having this, this old group together. I think whoever actually looked past the names in the title and listened to the podcast, I think they, they would have enjoyed this experience. Um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, the nostalgia of this series has been, um, it's been great because I, I hadn't rewatched this series prior to this point. Um, you guys, you guys, well, Andy, yeah, dude, he's an idiot. Yeah, I'm an idiot. I, I'm not. I don't like rewatching games. Just I haven't watched 15, 18, or nineteen, or fifteen, seventeen, or eighteen. So I feel you on that. But 
but just that's weird to not watch it. Yeah, Dude, this, this Warriors to... this Warriors team freaked me out, man. It freaks me out. Like they're they're so good. I feel like if I'm watching it again, the results going to change. <laughs> Through all I... the kombucha and like bro tanks and wearing jerseys to go work out, <laughs> Justin's a real weirdo. You know, like you might think he's just your garden variety bro, but you peel back one layer of that onion, and you have one of the strangest men I've ever I've ever. I had. mean, he does he does own a Steph jersey for, for Cavs listeners who've I, I made do. it this far. You know, and, and a Wiggins jersey. Maybe I'm a Closet Warriors fan. Well, that would be fun next season, hopefully. Whenever, you have whenever to choose the, the Isaac Okoro jersey. Hey, yeah. you guys, you guys, you guys got a few minutes. I maybe got to go, but I wanted to ask who your favorite draft players are. Not on this podcast. So everybody listening, if you want to hear the rest of this podcast, go to Light Years Feed. Why not? Let's do a little bit of cross promotion here. Blue Wire, uh, Blue Wire family. Uh, so a big thanks to Sam and Andy. Uh, Carter, always a thanks to you and to all our listeners. Remember, if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do so is by leaving a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe to help cook those books. And if you want to be part of the Chase Down exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. Big shout out to everybody. This has been game two of the 2016 NBA Finals. Really appreciate you listening. And until next time, go Cavs.